I'm good, my friend. How's everybody doing today in the land of Brady Farkas? Every everything in, in Brady Land is good. And you know, I want to start on a serious note because we should be talking about basketball and the bludgeoning that the Nets gave the Celtics last night, but instead we're talking about Kyrie Irving's comments yet again. And this time it was he said that he didn't want to experience racism in Boston when he goes back there for the first time with fans since becoming a member of the Nets. What do you think of Kyrie preemptively warning against racism at the Garden? Well, he can preemptively warn warn everybody against it. And I'm not going to say that he's wrong to say that he shouldn't have said those things because obviously he has heard something throughout the years from either that's been directed at him or from other players. So I think you can use that broad paint stroke and and brush that across every Boston Celtics fan that's going to be rooting against the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving when he comes back there for game three and game four. So whatever filtered into his mind, he felt the need to put that out there. But here's the deal. The Celtics fans, if they were going to let him have it before, they're really going to let him have it now based on saying that. And Kyrie Irving is a lot of things, but he's also very calculating. I wonder how much of that was that he knows he's going to be in the building role when he goes back to Boston for the first time in terms of having fans in the building as an opponent of Boston Celtics after playing for the Celtics before leaving for the Brooklyn Nets. I wonder how much of that is calculated for Kyrie Irving to keep his focus and make sure that the fans don't get under his skin and he can go out there and just play basketball. This wasn't something that he just thought of at the spur of the moment. I firmly believe there was something very calculated that he put out there after the way the Brooklyn Nets handled the Boston Celtics in Game 2. You know, Freddie, Kyrie's work with social justice and racial awareness and racial reckoning is certainly admirable and necessary. But when he makes a comment like this, preemptively, does that harm any of the productive conversations that he's been a part of to this point? No, it doesn't, because if you're a Kyrie Irving supporter, it doesn't matter what he says, you're going to support him. And if you're not a fan of Kyrie Irving, it doesn't matter what he does. It's going to be a yeah, but from that standpoint. So it depends on what side of the fence you are on when it comes to Kyrie Irving, because in plenty of people's eyes, he can do no right and can do no wrong, but he's always doing something that is going to get somebody's attention. And he loves being that kind of person, Brady. He enjoys being a contrarian to everything. And I don't know how much of that is, something that he was born with or something he grew up with, but it's who he is now. It's who he's been for more than a long, long time. When many people said, why would you want to leave LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers? And his answer was, well, why can't I go somewhere else and have my own basketball team? Who says I got it totally good here, despite what we've been able to do and what people believe. So anytime the grain is there, he does not mind going against the grain, whether it's what he does or what he says. In Kyrie Irving's world, there's no such thing as bad Kyrie. It's going to be Kyrie being Kyrie and how you deal with it. That's more of a you problem, and Kyrie's going to make sure it's not going to be a Kyrie problem. You know, I don't go back to Bucky Dent, and Aaron Boone is now almost 20 years ago. Is Kyrie the most hated athlete in New England now? No, I don't think so, because I still think it's a guy called Derek Jeter, the New York Yankees, or Alex Rodriguez when he played for the New York Yankees because you can hate on Kyrie Irving because he used to play for your basketball team and really hate on him now. But uh, usually something like that, when it comes to somebody like that, as great as he has been on the court and at times off the court, that's going to dissipate when it comes to that standpoint. But a guy like Derek Jeter playing for the New York Yankees or even Alex Rodriguez, those two guys, in my opinion, are going to be more, let's say in another couple of years, and that's Atlanta, Boston Celtics, and Kyrie Irving is leading that charge, then all of a sudden, it becomes that situation. You can really say this, Brady. 
LeBron James is probably more hated among Boston fans than Kyrie Irving will ever be because LeBron James is always going to be that polarizing figure, even more so than Kyrie Irving. That's not to say that Kyrie Irving is not hated. I don't know if I put him on that level with LeBron James, Derek Jeter, and also Alex Rodriguez. I don't know, Freddie. That That's Red Sox owner LeBron James now. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> Celtics fans don't care about that. Red Sox fans don't care about that. Oh, LeBron James, part of our basketball baseball team, so be it. He never played major league <laughs> baseball, and he didn't play for the New York Yankees. But Celtics fans... I believe that's a whole different deal with a guy like that. And, you know, Freddie, I was listening to Jackie McMullen uh, maybe even this morning on ESPN. If not this morning, it was definitely last night. Um, and she says she thinks that this Celtics team is missing veterans with an edge, like they had with Isaiah Thomas or when they had Marcus Morris. And that may be true, but doesn't that failure then kind of fall on Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker? They are veteran leaders. Why can't they present what those guys brought? Because those veteran leaders aren't the best players in the basketball team because Jackie McMullen talked about that when Isaiah Thomas was an edge kind of guy, he was the best player on the Boston Celtics. You need your best players to have an edge. And right now, there's no doubt about it. The two best players in this basketball team are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, even though he's out for the rest of the season. You always need an edge guy, but if you're going to have another edge guy, he has to be your best player in your team. You look throughout history of any championship team, the best players were edge guys. With the Boston Celtics, Larry Bird, an edge guy. Kevin McHale, an edge guy. They were the two best players in their basketball team. When Boston had their re- renaissance, their best player was an edge guy, Kevin Garnett and Rajon Rondo and Kendrick Perkins and guys like that were not far behind. So you can have an edge player or an edge kind of player that you need as a part of your basketball team players in your team. And that's no disrespect to Marcus Smart, a nice player, but he's nowhere near the talent of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, even Kimball Walker. If your best player is not an edge guy, then you're going to get what we've been able to see from the Boston Celtics. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. Their best player, Kevin Durant, is an edge guy. Kyrie Irving, their second best player, in my opinion, is an edge guy. If you're going to compete for a championship, your best players be the kind of guys that won't take nothing from anybody. And if that's going to continue to be the case in Boston, then we're going to have the same conversation year after year if Jalen Brown and Jason Taylor do not develop into best player edge guys for the Boston Celtics. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio host. You can check him out tonight, 9 p.m. Freddie and Fitzsimmons right here on WDEVradio.com. On the air tonight is Red Sox and Braves. I want to move over to football. What do you think of the idea of the Patriots acquiring Julio Jones? Oh, they should be all in on Julio Jones because, I, I, honestly, if I'm the Tennessee Titans, I'm not letting the Patriots get to Julio Jones before I can get to them because he really can help that football team as well as helping the New England Patriots. But the Patriots should definitely be all in on the guy that still has a lot left and automatically is going to be your number one target for the New England Patriots. If you believe that Cam Newton is your quarterback, if you believe that we needed to su- surround him with more weapons and provide him with more weapons, Brady, then what better weapon is out there right now, not named Aaron Rodgers, when it comes to Julio Jones, who clearly has made it known he does not want to be a part of the Atlanta Falcons rebuild with, with their new coach, Arthur Smith, taking over that football team. So there's no doubt that the Patriots are doing more than just kicking the tires. They're checking the air conditioning. They're checking the leather seats. They're checking to see if there's enough room in the back for the kids and car seats. They're doing everything possible to find out exactly what it's going to take. And I know the Falcons said they wanted a first-round pick. They're not getting a first-round pick for Julio Jones. But if you're the Patriots and you can part with a third and a fourth-round pick for Julio Jones, that is more than worth the freight for a guy that still has more than enough juice left in his tank to be an effective and help out your offense and help out your quarterback. 
You know, I think the Patriots are built to play bully ball. Right now they are built to run the football and utilize those new tight ends that they've got. If you acquire Julio Jones, do you change the entire offense to become more vertical, or is Julio having to be okay with playing as part of a run-first team? Well, remember, the Atlanta Falcons were a bully ball, zone-reading, run-the-football team, and then they could get one-on coverage with Julio Jones. You can plug and place him anywhere. It's going to work no matter what your offensive philosophy is. Just imagine San Francisco 49ers get that guy. They're a bully ball team. They run the football for the action, and Julio Jones can still beat one-on-one coverage. You won't have to worry as much about double coverage if he goes to the 49ers or Tennessee or to the New England Patriots. So you can still be a bully ball football team. You can still have two tight ends and a one-back offense, but now you create more space because now if you're so worried about the running game, you get him on one-on-one coverage and scheme him open. More often than not, he's going to beat one-on-one coverage. So you don't need to change anything if you acquire Julio Jones. If anything, he adds to your bully ball philosophy that you're going to be in New England. He's not going to take away from what you're trying to do with the quarterback you have in Cam Newton and the pieces you're able to get in the offseason to try to make this work. Okay, so that you've made the case why the Patriots should want Jones. Should Jones want the Patriots? Oh, absolutely, because you can't put it out there and say, I don't want to be in Atlanta because I want to win. Well, if you want to win, then you can't go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're not going to win, and by the time they do, you're going to be out the National Football League. And the Patriots right now, they're a lot closer to the Buffalo Bills than they were last year. A guy like Julio Jones puts them past the AFC East and brings them maybe a little bit closer to the Baltimore Ravens of the world, the Kansas City Chiefs of the world. That's how much value I believe that Julio Jones will have for a football team because he's not going to be as injured as he was last year. He won't have all that pressure that's going to be on him that he dealt all the years with the Atlanta Falcons. Now you have a chance to put him with a Cam Newton, with that offense, with Josh McDowell an offensive coordinator, and Bill Belichick as the head coach. He's only going to add, not subtract from your football team. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that if he wants to win, you can't just say, I'll go over there to a team that finished 1-15 and or 6-10 and last year. No, if you want to win, you go to a team that had a blip last year when it comes to a losing season. I believe they're back on track. You're the big hockey guy. Should the Bruins yeah. want the Islanders or the Penguins in round two? Oh, you should want the Penguins because the Islanders, they will bite, they will scratch, they will kick, they will claw, they will not back down. And the Bruins are that kind of team as well. And I love the way they just always turn your mistakes into goals. They're so good at that, especially in the playoffs. But a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins, they're not the kind of team that will scratch and claw and get at you. The Islanders do not back down. Even if you try to put them in a coffin, they're trying to break out of the coffin and raise back from the mm. dead. So if you're the Boston Bruins, it's a much better matchup for you to get the Pittsburgh Penguins in round two and not the New York Islanders because you may beat the Islanders in a series, but they could take years off your life <laughs> and you wonder if you're going to have anything left if, you try to, if you're able to advance in the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Penguins, a much easier opponent for the Boston Bruins than the New York Islanders. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, one of the best. We talk with him every single Wednesday at this time. His show tonight, 9 p.m., right here on WDEVradio.com. The Red Sox are off tomorrow, so Freddie's show back live on the air tomorrow at 9. Freddie, as always, we appreciate you. My pleasure, Brady. Take care and be well in Brady land.